The Bible says, go and make disciples of all nations. Will you hear? Will you hear? Will you hear? Would you hear? Would you hear? Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. course of this next year, you're going to hear those words a lot. Live outward. Live outward. We're going to be challenging you and encouraging you as the church body to lift up your eyes to the world that is around you and to take the love that you naturally have for yourself. We are born selfish people. We're selfish. We're self-centered. But by faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that resides within us, we now have the ability to take that love that we naturally have for ourselves and redirect it outwardly towards Christ and towards other people. And so as we looked at last week, we're going to encourage you time and time again over the course of this next year to lift up your eyes, to look at the people. Instead of thinking about yourself in every situation, every environment you find yourself in, to think about the people around you, to look at them through the eyes of Christ and to see them as people who God loves and who desperately need Jesus Christ. And we're going to give you practical ways to live outward. In fact, each month's going to come with an individual challenge. Pastor Steve Barnes and our evangelism and communications team has put together an, an incredible outline of programs and ways practical ways to help you get engaged in evangelism and to live outward. In fact, the challenge for this month is to take a card and write a note to somebody. It sounds incredibly simple, but it's these simple things that set us apart and lift up our eyes. And so uh, our team has set up a booth, and in fact, they put some cards out there. They've made it incredibly simple for you. You can pick up one card, two cards. Take those home. Pick up as many cards as you need. Make sure you use them, though, if you're going to pick them up. Take them home. And then you write a note of encouragement. You can do an email. You can do a text message. I still like the good old-fashioned cards. Uh, but let's lift up our eyes. Let's take those steps to think about the people that are around us. Let's live to encourage them, to bless them. And prayerfully, as we love and encourage others, God will open up doors and opportunities for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open them to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, as we take a brief break from Samuel, and we'll get back into Samuel on the 1st of February, but we look uh, specifically at the beginning of the year at the mission of the church. We always come back. We remind ourselves 
why we exist, the purpose for which God has given to us. As you're finding your place in God's word, I wanna welcome those who are joining us via our live stream. Welcome Reach Church Paola, Reach Church DeSoto, the venue service down the hall. We're grateful for all of you. And also, just to give you a brief update, the end of the year we had Bread of Life, Living Water, um, last year, we received $160,000. We were prayerful that God would give us the ability to reach that goal again. Um, I'll tell you, at the middle of the month, I was a little bit questioning whether or not we'd get there again. Uh, but thanks to the faithfulness of you and the faithfulness of God, um, we far surpassed that. Uh, we received $255,000 in the month of December that will go towards Bread of Life, Living Water. Yeah, praise the Lord. God is so good. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you to the Lord who has been faithful and good to us. And now we'll have the opportunity. Every dollar of that offering will go to provide food and, and, and good resources of water to our ministry partners who will then distribute that in the name of Jesus. All of this will go towards that effort and the hope and the goal of providing basic needs in a person's life that will open the door into a gospel message to them. So this is powerful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, 2 Timothy, where we looked last week at the reaching aspect of our strategy. This morning, we look at the teaching and the discipleship portion of that strategy. Um, you know, it's a playoff season, so I thought a little football analogy would do good here. Um, the Green Bay Packers of the 1960s were not pulling for Green Bay today, all right? Do not pull them for Green Bay today. America's team, Dallas, all right, we're pulling for Dallas. Probably not going to happen. We get excited every year. Now, I don't want to hear any boos, all right? No boos. Good night, good, pray for you people, <laughs> listen, all right, the Dallas fans, we got it hard, all right, we got a hard life, it's suffering, it's patience, it's endurance, but today, all right, get away from that, all right, Green Bay Packers, 1960s, incredible team. Incredible team in 1960, won five national championships. You'll remember that team. Bart Starr, Vince Lombardi, Paul Hornig, Jim Taylor. They dominated professional football. What made them incredibly unique was the fact that they really only had one offensive play. One play. What was that play? Called the power sweep. You had those two pulling guards. Vince Lombardi developed this. Uh, it's amazing with all the creativity with offenses back then. It was just one play, but it was incredibly creative at its time. They had these two pulley guards. Um, you had Fuzzy Thurston and uh, Jerry Kramer. And the pulling guards would come out, and you had that, that fullback, um, Jim Taylor. All right, so you got three guys blocking on the right side of the line. They come out, and then peeking back behind him, he'd receive the top, the top sweep would be old Paul Hornig. And they would run that play. The first three years they ran that play, it averaged 8.3 yards per play. Can you believe that? 8.3 yards per play. In fact, you probably heard that saying, uh, four yards and a cloud of dust, it came from that. Um, in, in fact, it was actually eight yards and a cloud of dust. But every year at the beginning of the season, in the summertime, when the players were report to camp in the middle of summer in July, Vince Lombardi, he gathered the tree. You talk to the Green Bay Packers in the 1960s, I'll tell you, it was emphasis. The first thing he would do, pull them in the locker room, and he'd get the chalkboard out, that old chalkboard, green chalkboard, well, the, the, the white chalk, and he'd get that chalk out, and he'd diagram the power sweep. And he would diagram it with passion and enthusiasm and excitement, and he'd diagram that play, play and he'd look at his team, and he'd say, listen, everybody, if they're going to beat us, they got to be able to stop the power sweep. But if we run it to perfection, if we execute it perfectly, 
can't be beat. They can't stop us. We'll always win. Power sweep was everything that was the Green Bay Packers in the 1960s. And it led to a ton of success. Can I tell you, as a church, we have a power sweep. We got a power sweep. And it's called the Great Commission. And every year, we do this every year, we come back the first year, and guess what? We go back to the power sweep. And it's basic, and we're going to look at this, and listen to me, if we will execute, God's given us one play. If we will execute this, and we will run it, as God has diagrammed it for us, we can't be beat. We can't be beat. He promises to go with us with his power and his presence to give us all that we need to fulfill the mission that he's given to us. This is it. This is our power sweep. We looked at it on the basis of uh, uh, Matthew 28, the Great Commission. This week, I want us to see it in light of 2 Timothy 2. This is what many refer to as Paul's Great Commission, and it emphasizes the teaching aspect of that Great Commission that Christ gave to us. Let me give you a little background here on 2 Timothy uh, just a little bit of context. Paul writes two letters to his son in the faith, Timothy, uh, first and second Timothy. Paul founded this church, and they needed some help. And so he sends Timothy. First Timothy is written on the organizational structure of the church. It tells him how to operate the church, the structure of the church. And in Second Timothy, the church had run into some problems. They had some opposition. They were facing discouragement. And so Paul writes to Timothy to encourage him. And he writes specifically to remind Timothy, this is what you are called to do. And so this is Paul's last letter, last letter that he'll write. He gives Timothy his marching orders. It's Paul's version of the Great Commission. And in it we find the primary teaching and discipleship elements of the church. Basically, Paul is telling Timothy this. Timothy, if you and the church are not successful at this, then nothing else matters. They had to get this right. This is it. This is the engine of the church. Without an engine, a car is nothing more than a showpiece. When the church fails in the area of discipleship, we are nothing more than a showpiece. We're bricks and mortar. We might have a beautiful building, but we are not fulfilling the purpose to which God called us. So let's look at it together. It's going to be on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Look at it there. It says, Therefore... My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Right here we find the three essential elements of the teaching ministry of the church. We need to be reminded of this. These are very simple things. Um, these are obvious. Many of you are going to say, Pastor, we have heard this over and over again. Well, you're going to hear it again. We can't miss this. We can't, these are the simple things that we can't miss on and we need to be reminded of. What are the three essential elements? Number one is the truth of God's word. The truth of God's word. It says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in you, the things which you have heard from me. Anytime you see a therefore, you have to see what it's there for, meaning you've got to look back. What has Paul been talking about in 1 Timothy chapter 1? Well, he's been talking about the faith. He's been talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. In fact, he tells Paul in, uh, or Timothy in chapter 1 verse 8, he says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord of, or of me. He says in verse 12, I am not ashamed. He says in verse 16, Anisiphorus, he's not ashamed. 
And Timothy, you don't be ashamed. Guard the faith. In fact, that's exactly what he says in verse 14. Guard the faith. Don't be ashamed of the, of the faith. Essentially what is happening is clinging to the word of God, clinging to the deity of Christ, clinging to salvation by faith alone had become a minority movement in that culture. Does that sound a little bit like our day? That we, are, we too are kind of a part of a, a if you're going to cling to the word of God as true, if you're going to cling to Christ as God, if you're going to cling to salvation by faith alone, you're going to be in the minority movement. Well, that was Timothy's day. And he's encouraging him, guard the faith. Don't be ashamed. Essentially, he's passing off the family business. And as he's passing it off to Timothy, he says to him, this is the most precious part of everything. It's the gospel. It's the critical truths of the inerrancy of God's word, the deity of Christ, and salvation by faith alone. He says, you guard it with your life. You cling to God's word. Regardless of what everybody else thinks or believes, you stay true to the faith and the gospel and the word of God. Just as Moses would say to the people in Deuteronomy 32, 47, this is no idle word for you. It is your very life. We cannot, we must not compromise when it comes to the truth of God's word. And so when it comes to the teaching and the discipleship ministry of the church, we only have one textbook, and it's the Word of God. And we don't debar- depart. Regardless of what the world thinks or does, we're going to stick with the Word of God and the truth of God. The Supreme Court, they can make their judgments, and Congress and Senate can pass their laws, but we will not depart from the Word of God. If everyone else denies sexual morality, we will be a people of the book and we will not bend. If everyone abandons the idea of men and women being made in the image of God, we will not bend. We will not be ashamed and we will guard it with our lives. It's the centerpiece, the focal point, and the foundation of every lesson that is taught within this building and by our teachers. So every week you come to this church, you're going to hear me say, bring your Bible. I know a few weeks back I said, don't quit them electronic Bibles, you know, but I don't care. I don't care. If you use your phone, you can use whatever. I was just joking with y'all, all right? I was just joking, all right? Can we take a joke, laugh a little bit? 11 o'clock service, y'all got to laugh a little bit with me, all right? Y'all got to give me something, all right? And the 9.30, I don't know why. Yeah, 11 o'clock, a little more sleepy, all right? Y'all got to work it. Wake up. Bill, what are you doing? You, all right, work on this. Bill's supposed to get them warmed up, you know, for me and get them going before I get up here. Listen, I don't care. You use your phone, your iPad, your computer, but bring the Word of God with you if you come to church. And you know what else you need to bring? Bring a pen. And I know there's ways and the devices to take notes. That's good too, all right? But here's the principle. This was taught to me by my mentor a long time ago. When God speaks to us, we ought to write it down. So you take notes. And I'm not just talking about here on Sunday morning, but when you get in God's Word in the week, you put a pen and a paper out there, and you ask God to speak to you. And when God speaks to you, you write it down. If you were going to have a meeting with an incredibly important person in your life, and they were going to impart to you important truths, do you not think it would be wise to bring a pen and a piece of paper? So bring your Bible, bring a pen, because we're here to hear God's voice. We, we cannot be successful apart from the Bible. We got nothing to preach. 
We have nothing to teach apart from the word of God. I am praying you are not here to gain wisdom from me. Because I ain't got much to offer. Um, some of you have been walking with Christ far longer than me. and You got more wisdom and knowledge than I do. My dad, you've heard me say this, he comes to church every Sunday. Every Saturday night he's here. Sunday morning he goes down to Paola. He listens to me every week. I can guarantee you he ain't coming to church because he said, boy, my son is going to impart to me great wisdom today. He knows me. My wife, she sits through th all three of my sermons. All three. I guarantee you she's not coming here because she says, the depth of the wisdom of my glorious husband, I have to... <laughs> Gain wisdom from him. No, she knows I'm a knucklehead. She's coming because it don't matter if it's me or somebody else. She knows the word of God is going to be taught here. It's all we have to offer. It's all we have to give. It's the plumb line of our lives. We hold it fast. We guard it. Spurgeon has a quote on the Bible. I'm going to read to you. It's a little bit of a long quote, but I love this. He says it so well to accentuate the beauty and the glory of God's word. Listen to this. He says, this is no common book. It's not the sayings of the sages of Greece here, not the utterances of philosophers of past ages. If these words were written by a man, we might reject them. But oh, let me think the solemn thought that this book is God's handwriting, that these words are God's. Let me look at its date. It's dated from the hills of heaven. Let me look at its letters. They flash glory upon my eye. Let me read the chapters. They are big with meaning and mysteries unknown. Let me turn over the prophecies. They are pregnant with unending and unthought of wonders. Oh, book of books. Oh, if you could ever remember that this Bible was actually and really written by God. Oh, if you had been led into the secret chambers of heaven, if you had beheld God grasping his pen and writing it down, then surely you would respect these words. But they are just as much God's handwriting as if you had seen God write them. This Bible is a book of authority. It's an authorized book, for God has written. Oh, tremble, lest any of you despise it. Mark its authority, for it's the word of God. This is the word of God. Come, search you critics and find a flaw. Examine it from its genesis to its revelation and find an error. It's a vein of pure gold, unalloyed by quartz or any earthly substance. It's a star without a speck, a sun without a blot, a light without a darkness, a moon without its paleness, a glory without dimness. Oh, Bible, it cannot be said of any other book that is perfect and pure, but of you we can declare all wisdom is gathered up in thee without a particle of folly. This is the judge that ends the strife where wit and reason fail. This is the book untainted by any error, but it's pure, unalloyed, perfect truth. Why? Because God wrote it. Amen. It's the word of God. We will be a people of the book. We have word, a word from God. It's the foundation to our success. It's essential to the teaching ministry of Lenexa Baptist Church. You've heard me say this many, many times, but the day comes when you don't hear, open your Bible. You find yourself in another church. I mean that with all my heart because the day we depart from this book, we're all ready dead the truth of God's word secondly the training of others the training of others look at verse 2 these things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also so we hold the truth uh, we guard the truth but at some point we got to share it with others 
It's not enough just to hold the truth of God's word. We have to entrust it to other people. Uh, We have to train others who will be able to teach other people. If all you ever do is absorb, you've only gotten half the deal. We don't simply read and study for our own personal benefit. Although, when you read and study God's word, is there personal benefit? Oh, yeah, there is. But the great joy and benefit is reading and studying and then being able to share those truths with other people. It's the great joy of preaching. Those of you that are teachers know this as well. One of the great privileges of teaching is not just that you get to teach others, but that it's the, the instructing of God to you. I, mean, I say this, I would not be where I'm at spiritually if I did not have the accountability of knowing I have to prepare a message each week. And in my time alone with God and his word in preparation, guess what? God speaks to me. And God speaks to me first. And God changes me. And he, uh, he convicts me. He disciplines me. And that is a joy, and it's why sometimes when I'm preaching, it gets very emotional because I'm sharing with you what God's been doing in my heart during the week. But the joy is I'm just telling you what God showed me and how he's changing me. And that's the joy, not just to take it for yourself, but be able to share it with others. How do we do this? Well, I have... And chosen training, the training of others. They use the word train and training instead of teach or preach. In other places, Paul writes and he encourages Timothy to teach and preach. And we all understand the importance of public proclamation of God's word. But right here, when Paul talks about committing to faithful men, it's evident that he's referring to another type of instruction. It's not the public proclamation. This is closer to what we would call mentoring or discipleship. So it appears that in the church there has to be the preaching of God's word, the the public proclamation of the truth of God's word in corporate settings, but then you also must have teaching of God's word in smaller groups where you have dialogue and you have feedback, but then you must also have beyond that the training and mentoring in personal relationships where you do life together. We also see this in Jesus' life, don't we? This is the, the, the model that Jesus gives to us. You're, you know, Jesus had a public preaching ministry. He preached to large crowds, but he also had a small group, didn't he, that he, that he dialogued with and had conversation with. But even within the 12, in that smaller group, he had what? He had an inner three that he was even closer with and brought them into places that the other 12 didn't go into, and he did life with them. But it's important to note that the bulk of Jesus' teaching and training occurred in more of what we would call mentoring relationships where they did life together. And I believe that this is the area in which the church has primarily failed. We've been good. We're, we're, we're pretty good at these large group teaching in large settings. We're good at lecture in classrooms. But where we must succeed if we want to pass on our faith to another generation is, we, is in these one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three mentoring relationships where we teach the word of God, we apply it in discipleship relationships. Um, the, the, the industries of the world utilize this. Um, I spent a little bit of time in sales with Xerox and it was amazing to me, kind of light bulb went off when I thought back on how they trained me. But when Xerox hired me, one of the first things they did is they sent me off to Lynchburg, Virginia, and they trained me. They took me, they sent all their salespeople to their research and development department in Lynchburg, Virginia, and taught me everything there was to know about a Xerox copier. You're going to know everything about the Cadillac of copiers. 
All right, you're going to know everything. there. They taught me the ins and outs, everything there was to know. They even taught us about the competition, who we'd be competing against, and why we were better than them. And so we spent days in there with copiers and demonstrating in lecture and classroom settings. But then once we got done with that, they sent us back. My region was Dallas. They sent me back to Dallas with my team, and they put me in a team. And I had a team of salesmen with a sales manager. And we met on a regular basis to talk about sales and what we were doing and some of the incentives we were offering. We would have dialogue and feedback. But then they also partnered me up with a mentor, a guy named David Packer. He was an amazing sales manager. He became my mentor. And you know what David did? He told me, you know, listen, all right, Tuesday we're going to make a sales call. And you're going with me. You know what you're going to do? Nothing. Shut your mouth. You don't do anything unless I tell you to. You just observe. Your job is to go with me and watch. And I went with him. And then I went with him on another sales call. And all I did was carry his stuff and help him make the presentation. I didn't say anything. I watched him time and time again make incredible sales pitches, present the, the copier and the packages, these law firms, and I'd watch him. And then, guess what he did? Eventually he said, all right, now it's your turn. You're going to do it. You create the presentation, and then you take it. You know, I went out, and I, I, I did all my research, and I go out there, and I make a presentation. I got decimated. They had questions I didn't have answers to, and, and he just kind of let me squirm, you know, and let me figure it out. But then I went back, and I said, David, what did I do wrong? He says, here's what you did wrong. And I got in my group setting, and we talked about how I could do better. And he said, all right, Thursday, you're going back out again. You're going to write back out again. I got another place for you. You're going to work up the numbers, and you're going to go. And he went with me, and he helped me. And then eventually it got to a place, and guess what he said? All right, now it's you. You just go. You got what you need. But then, that wasn't the end of the process, was it? They sent me out. Now, eventually, though, guess what they did? They had a new guy, and they paired me up with a new guy, and I had to take and do for somebody else what David had done for me. Isn't that amazing that the corporate world is utilizing the model of ministry and discipleship that Christ gave to us? Why? Because they know it works. The military uses it. The cults. The cults use it. Isn't that amazing? Satan is taking God's own model of ministry and using it against us. It's high time that we took back from Satan what God gave to us and use it to grow God's kingdom in these mentoring relationships where we get alongside another brother or sister in Christ and we impart to them the knowledge that God gave us. We teach them in small groups. We train them. We give them knowledge and competency of God's word. We bring this, them with us as we make disciples. We, we help them to see evangelism. And then we tell them it's your turn. And we'll help you. And then we send them out. And then we tell them you do for another person what we did for you. It's the model that God has given to us. It was the model of Jesus. It was the model of Paul. The model of Peter. In fact, if you look in this verse, uh, John MacArthur in his commentary points out that you have four generations represented in these verses. This is amazing. These things which you have heard from me, that's two generations. That's Paul and Timothy. Then he says, entrust these to faithful men. That's generation three. And then he says, who will be able to teach others? That's generation four. That's what you call making an eternal impact. That's what you call making an eternal impact. Howard Hendricks, he says, uh, with your life, don't make a splash. Make ripples. And the furthest ripples of your life will reach the very throne of God. I mean, every day you go pour into somebody and you invest in them. And then, and then they go out and they pour into somebody else. 
and then they pour into somebody else. I love this one of our ministry partner student mobilizations. One of the things I love about their ministry is they're really good at emphasizing that we're all links in a chain, and don't you, don't you be the last link. They emphasize to you that all you are is a link in the chain, and you take what God's given to you, and you share it with other people, and they do this. I've seen them do this in, in, in group settings where they, well, they ask a guy, a guy, a guy just come to faith in Christ. They'll ask him, who led you to faith in Christ? He said, well, Scott, Scott led me to faith in Christ. He, he developed a relationship with me in my fraternity, and, and, um, and then he taught me what it means to know God's word and study God's word. And then they go to Scott. Scott, who taught you? Well, actually, Joel, Joel came across me and, on campus one day and, and developed a relationship with me and told me about Jesus, and then he taught me how to study God's word and how to impart that truth to other people. And, and then they go to Joel. Joel, who, who, who taught you? Well, Bob, Bob actually taught me. Bob, Bob met me on campus and way back when, and, and he came alongside me and told me what it was to follow Jesus, and, and he invested in me. And Bob, who taught you? And it just goes on and on. And that's the way it's meant to be. Bob took the, the gospel that he had received, and he shared it with Joel. And Joel took the gospel that he received, shared it with Scott. And, and Scott took the gospel that he received and shared it with Tommy, and it just keeps going and listen, that's called a ministry of multiplication. And when you see this start to take place, it will explode. It's how the gospel went from 100 people in a small upper room in Jerusalem to the British Isles and into Asia by about 70 A.D. Can you believe that? 70 years, and you went from a Jewish carpenter who gave his life on Christ and, and 100 people gathered on a room, and it impacted the world. This is the disciple ministry that God has called us to be, to be involved in. And this is what leaves a, a lasting legacy. Can I just ask you, when, 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 when your funeral comes, are there going to be some people sitting out there who say, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if that man hadn't invested in me? Do you have spiritual grandchildren? Great-grandchildren? Ladies, there are going to be some women out there who say, there's no way I'd be where I'm at today if that, that woman hadn't invested in me, hadn't come alongside me and shared with me what it means to read the word of God and be a godly wife and mother and, and live out my faith. That's the ministry that God has called us to. That's called leaving a, an eternal and lasting legacy. So we see that uh, the third thing is the teachers who are faithful. So we've seen the truth of God's word, the training of others, and then we finally come to teachers who are faithful. And trust these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul is instructing Timothy to look for faithful men to mentor so that they will turn around and lead others. And the question is, faithful in what? And trust these things to faithful men. Faithful in what? That they're faithful in the area of discipleship and mentoring. So here's the principle. We all gotta do this, but it's an it's absolutely a critical truth that it must be modeled by the leadership of the church. We must have faithful leaders and teachers who will do this. It all starts with leadership. Paul knew, Paul knew, Timothy, if you can find some faithful men who will commit themselves to mentoring and discipleship of other people, then the church at Ephesus will not fail. You'll always have a people who will guard the word and who will be faithful to pass it along, and you'll always have a church in Ephesus that will make it 
a kingdom impact for the glory of Christ. So here's what this means. Everybody in the church needs to be a part of this, but we have to expect that our leaders and our pastors and our teachers will do this. And in many ways, this means we have to change our our definition of success. That success for the church is not how many people we can get in this building. And you need to know, like we just had last week, we had our quarterly business meeting. I rarely ever look at the numbers. I don't, our pastoral leadership team, we don't know what anybody gives. I don't look at budget numbers. Very rarely do I. We've got people, listen, we got pastors. That's their job. They do a great job. But I don't look at those things because my job, my job is to ensure that we're always reminded that true success is not how many people we can cram in this building. It's how many disciples we're making. It's how many leaders we're developing. Yeah, it's always funny to me. Occasionally I'll go to these pastors conferences. You get a group of pastors together, you know what they, you know, the, you know the first thing they ask you? How many people are you running in your church? You know, how many you got over there? I got about 2,500 where I'm at. Yeah, we brought in 8 million last year. You got 2,500. You know, my question is 2,500 what? Because what does it matter if we get 25 people in but they don't love Jesus? What does it matter if we get 2,500 people in and they don't love and hold fast to the word of God? I guarantee you, you can have 2,500 people and you have a dead church. We better be raising up people. It's not about the number of the people. In fact, if you look at Jesus, he was, the crowds made him nervous. It was about the quality of the men that he was producing. That's what we got to stay focused on. Are we making? Because that's what burdens my heart. Will Lenexa Baptist Church 30 years from now have a church right here that holds fast to the word of God, the inerrancy of God's word, salvation by faith alone and the deity of Christ? And it'll be dependent upon whether or not we stay engaged for this discipleship ministry. That we're raising up another generation that holds fast. Pastor Steve did this for me. He created a church with strong leadership. And this leadership, they love the word of God. They love the word of God and they believe in the truthfulness of God's word. I'm so grateful that I proceeded, um, came behind a guy who never trimmed the sails when it came to the truth of God's word. We're gonna hold fast to truth. Who was faithful to raise up leaders who loved Jesus, loved the word of God, and were faithful to make disciples and to be on mission and to be about the work of evangelism. The question is, will I pass it along to another generation? So whether I'm here or not, we know that there'll be a faithful witness right here at the corner of 87th and Lackman because we guarded the faith that was entrusted to us and we didn't just guard it, we passed it along. That's what God's called us to do. That's the mission that God has given to us. I am... Um, it's one of the great joys. I, I, um, I've said this many times now, but I, I wouldn't have said this years ago. But I try to be engaged in discipleship all the time with some men that I'm investing in. I've got three groups right now that I meet with 
this next year, when I get back in February, I'm, I'm determined that I'm going to make my, my, my Wednesdays are going to be just discipleship day for me. I'm just going to try to do nothing but discipleship groups on Wednesday. Just invest in men in the next generation. Because I have learned that this is the most effective thing I do. If you forced me to choose between the preaching ministry that I do and the discipleship ministry, I would choose discipleship ministry every day of the week and twice on Sunday. You know why? Because I know it's far more effective. I've seen the results. The reality is, I'm not being harsh on you, but it's just the reality. Most of y'all couldn't tell me what I preached last Sunday. I mean, lecturing is the worst form of education. Do y'all know that? But it's what we put the highest premium on, don't we? We got it all backwards. Eloquent men who can do these things. Christ put a high premium on -on one-on-one discipleship because he knew it was far more effective at passing along the faith to another generation. This is what we must be about So let me just conclude with this. There's so much more I could say. Where are you at in the discipleship process? Some of you are here today, you don't know Jesus Christ, you're your personal Lord and Savior. In order to make a disciple, you gotta be a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means you trust in Jesus Christ. Being a disciple is not just following the the teachings of Jesus. (laughs) That's part of it. But listen, when you trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're united with Christ. You become a body part to a body. You become a bride to a bridegroom. You become a a vine to a branch. You're united with Christ and his life becomes your life. His death becomes your death. His inheritance becomes your inheritance. And his mission becomes your mission. And his passion becomes your passion. And, And so the first step is do you know Jesus? Are you a disciple of Christ? By placing your faith in Christ. But once you become a disciple of Christ, can I ask you, have you ever been discipled? I mean, just imagine this. You lead your coworker to faith in Christ. You lead a coworker. You finally get the courage. You talk to them. They trust in Jesus Christ. And you say to them, hey, now get signed up at this discipleship course at my church because I can't teach. I'm terrible. Wouldn't it be far more effective if they placed their faith in Christ? You said, hey, I'd like to start meeting with you. And rather than send you to class about praying, let, let, me, let me teach you how I pray. And rather than sending them to a class on, on, on how to study the Bible, what if you said, hey, let me help you learn what I've learned about what it means to study God's word and glean truth from it and apply it to your life so that it changes you. That's what we gotta do. And so many people, they've never done disciple. Now, we... we we back away from it. You know why we back away from this so many times? Because it raises the bar, doesn't it? Because if you're going to teach somebody to pray, guess what you better be doing? You better start praying. And if you're going to teach somebody to read the Bible, guess what you better be doing? You better be, I love, God designed it this way because he knew that making disciples makes you a better disciple. But some of you have never been discipled. Some of you have known Christ for 30 years and spiritually speaking, you're still an infant because nobody's ever come alongside you. And I can guarantee you if you're here today and you're mature in your faith, it's because some point or another a person came alongside you and said, let me, do you know how to read the Bible? 
Somebody ever taught you how to read the Bible for the purpose of gaining wisdom from it and applying it to your life and so that it changes you? Nobody's ever taught you that. You need to get engaged in discipleship. We have all kinds of opportunities. Let us know. We'll plug you in. Others of you, you've been discipled. You've been to more discipleship classes. You've been to more Bible studies. You could teach the Bible better than me. Most of you got more knowledge than me. Some of y'all let me know. You emailed me. You told me you're wrong last week, Pastor. Oh, yeah. Actually, half the time they're right. You know, I got it wrong. I... But how about not just taking that knowledge and keeping it to yourself and using it as a point of arrogance to let everybody know how knowledgeable you are about God's word? And how about sharing some of that wisdom with somebody else who needs Jesus? This is what, kind of my beef with the church right now. We are educated beyond our obedience. We got so much Bible knowledge. We got answers to questions that nobody's even asking. Let's take the truths of God's word that we know. You know what? Most people want to know how to make it through the next day. There's some young women out there who need a godly woman who knows what it means to be a godly wife who's just longing for somebody to come alongside her and say, Do you know how to read your Bible? Let me come alongside you. And she's a young mother, and she's just trying to make it through the day. And she needs somebody to come alongside her and say, let me help you. Let's study the word together. And I can tell you what God has taught me. And I can show you how to live this out. And there's some young men who need somebody. And some of y'all have incredible knowledge, and you've also got credible experience, and you're just holding it and hoarding it to yourself. Do you want another real joy? get in the game and impact somebody else for the glory of Jesus Christ. This is what God called us to do. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning and to study your word and to be reminded of your grace, even as we're reminded right here in 2 Timothy, when Paul gives his instruction to Timothy, he says to him, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace. Paul knew Timothy was weak. He had all kinds of weaknesses and frailties. What strengthened Timothy for the work of discipleship was the grace of God. And maybe there's somebody here that needs to fall upon the grace of God for the very first time. They've never trusted in you. I pray that you would open their eyes to the depths of their sin. You'd open their eyes to the wonder and the beauty of the salvation that you have provided in Jesus. And they trust in you. They know your forgiveness, your grace, your freedom. But God, for those of us that do know you, I pray that we get in the game. And I know some people say, I'm not sure I'm qualified. Lord, I pray that they just reach out and we'll help them. But Lord, give us boldness and courage to get involved. Some people, they need to take the first step and just say, I need help. I want somebody to come alongside of me. And God, help us to help them as a church. But Lord, we want to be faithful. Personally and corporately, we want to be faithful to this task that you've given to us. We want to pass along our faith to another generation. We want to make sure that there's always a legacy of faith here at Lenexa Baptist Church. Help us, Lord. We need you. We rest upon your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.